In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear brothers, dear, dear family of Brother Francis, and dear friends, as we know, this feast day of St. Michael is the day that Archbishop Lefebvre chose for the, the brothers to, to make or to renew their vows. And today we are very, very happy to have present with us a brother who will be uh, renewing his vows. It is a joy because, of course, it's a great day in the life of brother, but it's a joy also because any time a religious makes profession or renews their vows, it really is a triumph for grace. It is a victory for grace. The life of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has been infused into our souls, this, this same life is, is the life of, of every Christian, for sure. But for a religious, they take a resolution to, to live a kind of life in certain circumstances that will favor the development of this life of Christ in their soul. They agree to make certain sacrifices in order to have the best possible circumstances, most favorable to develop this life of Christ in their soul. And that determination they have, it's not a sign that they're perfect yet. Of course not. That's, that's why they enter into this life, to become more and more perfect. But already that serious desire that they have is a great victory of grace. And it already shows a certain purity of heart, that they value the right thing that they are giving themselves to the right things. And so today I would like to just speak to you about this question of purity of heart to try to give us maybe a little better understanding of what it means and also how we have to practice it, how to, to make our hearts more and more pure. It's relevant, of course, to the religious who are present, but it's relevant for all of us because the religious life and the Christian life are not two different things. It is simply that the religious, as I say, they dedicate themselves to certain circumstances that favors that development of Christian life that is present in all of us. So the first way that we can understand this question of purity of heart is what we might call the negative way. Something is pure when it has no impurities in it, or at least relatively pure when it has relatively few impurities in it. So the first way we have to understand this purity of heart is in the sense of avoiding whatever stains the heart. Or might be even more meaningful to say whatever shrinks the heart. That is to say, the avoidance of sin and to, I would say, understand that process of avoiding sin as avoiding whatever is opposed to the life of charity, 
Because that's really what sin is. Whatever action is more or less opposed to the life of charity in the soul. And of course, a religious, like every Christian, has to strive for a certain delicacy, a delicacy of relationship with our Lord. Because if we understand sin as whatever is more or less opposed to charity, well, then of course, we, we avoid sin out of charity. And, we, and charity, of course, is that, that friendship, that love of friendship with our Lord. I think one reason why people find perhaps the Christian life not so satisfying is because they don't strive for that. They don't see that, well, that really is what charity is about. And our, our Christian life is, is not meant to be tiptoeing around the edges of sin, but to have this delicacy of feeling towards God. So that's the first way that, of course, we need to understand and cultivate this purity of heart by having that delicacy of feeling that avoids whatever is offensive to our friend, whatever might chill or weaken that bond of friendship. The second way that we can understand purity of heart is what we might call the positive way. And what this comes down to is the heart is pure enough that it seeks what is good in every situation. Not just to avoid what is evil, but to seek positively what is good in this situation in which it finds itself. And I want to caution, of course, because as I I say that, I, I understand that it might lead to a certain preoccupation or anxious obsession with always doing what is most perfect. And that's not the idea. That's, uh, that's, that's a burden on our soul, which in fact will weaken or threaten our peace of soul, which is something we must keep. So when I say look for the good, to positively seek the good in the situation, I, I don't mean that sort of gloomy preoccupation and that sort of deliberation that you know goes on and on and we can't we're paralyzed because we're trying to find the good it's it's not that what i mean here is that the pure heart chooses what it knows to be good even when there is an apparently convincing excuse and this happens to us many many times If we were really focused, if what we really wanted was the good, well, where the good lies is clear, in fact. It's not not so hard to see. What makes it perhaps a source of hesitation is that we have also this excuse, which seems not too bad, not too bad. And this is where our purity of heart has to rise to the occasion. Now, I'll give you some examples. So, we may do something wrong. Especially in a religious context, in the life of a religious, when they break the rule or something like that. 
They're really meant to, to own up to it, to, to apologize for it, to excuse themselves to their superior, whether they're caught doing it or not. They're meant to own up to it. Of course, the superior is a very busy man, and the superior has a lot on his mind, and I certainly wouldn't want to trouble him. Today of all days, he seems worried about something. So I'll apologize tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and we, we can't help but notice how stressful the whole week has been for our superior. And, well, after all, you know, I'm likely to commit this fault again. And so, well, I'll, I'll double up and I'll apologize for the last two occasions I did it. And that'll be easier on my superior. That sort of thing. Another excuse that often happens, and again, this is not just for religious, this is for all of us. We suffer a certain injustice. And we do. That's, that's part of life, that sometimes we suffer injustice. And that's not because the world, let's say, it's not firstly because we live in an imperfect world. It's firstly because we have to become like our Lord. And our Lord suffered injustice. Of course, it is a practical inevitability of living in a valley of tears. But it's more than that. It's a spiritual necessity. And the person who is pure of heart, they, they've understood that. So when they suffer an injustice... They do not respond according to their fallen nature, even though this occasion of all occasions would seem to justify a response of fallen nature. This time, at least, I have an excuse. Or so it would seem. But the pure heart looks for the good. All right, fair enough. I've, I've suffered this injustice. But what is the good thing for me to do now? What is the good to be done now? Two very common examples, again, for all of us. Right? We never really have an excuse to be carried away by our fallen nature. The third way that we can understand this purity of heart. So firstly, to avoid whatever bruises our friendship with our Lord, sin. Second of all, to seek the good, even when there's an excuse not to. Nevertheless, I see clearly where the good lies. The third way to understand this purity of heart is, is really the best way, in fact. The best way. And that is to Never compare God with anything. God can't be compared to anything. This, I would say, best way of understanding it, in a way it includes the first two. That's why I'll avoid sin, because whatever this creature is, whatever this thing I'm drawn to doing, it can't be compared to God, and, and yet it's opposed to God, so my choice has to be clear. Because I can't compare that with God. 
Or again, when I'm faced with a convincing excuse to do something that isn't going to lead me to God, what will lead me to God is clear. That, that, that next step, that next step along the path, I, I see it. And I'm going to take it because excuse or not, God is over here. So as I say, it, it includes the other two. But it really, I think, it's the best way to understand purity of heart. It's a determination to never place God in the scales with anything. I give my heart to God, and nothing is ever going to be compared with that. It's, it's just the quote from St. Michael, who we honor today. Who is like unto God? I could have this thing, but I'd have to have it instead of God. And who is like unto God? God's will catches me a bit off guard. It's surprising. But it's his will. And who is like unto God? Of course, St. Michael is a very good example of that purity of heart. But he's not the best example, actually. The best example is the one whom we call the Immaculate Heart. It is Our Lady, and I think it's good to reflect on that title, the Immaculate Heart. She had this purity of heart in its fullness. It wasn't simply once that she was caught off guard by the will of God. St. Michael, once. Our Lady, many times. But who is like unto God? Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. His word. Our brothers, they live a relatively hidden life. That is to say, their work that they do for God is not something that is usually going to win them a lot of applause. And that means that to be a brother is a demanding life. I would say the priest... In many ways, he has a heavier burden, but he also has more applause. It's a demanding life to be a brother. And that's why a brother has to love this purity of heart. I'm looking for God. And Our Lady can be a great encouragement and a great consolation for the brothers because her life was also very hidden. Of course, for centuries and centuries, we, we meditate on what Our Lady said and what Our Lady did, and we, we teach it to our children, and we celebrate it in the liturgical feast, but all of our meditations are based on a very small number of actions that we know about, and an even smaller number of words. 
Her life was very, very hidden. And yet her life was very, very full. A very full life. A life so full that she merited the salvation of the world together with her son. Every grace that every human person, that any human person is going to receive until the end of time, Our Lady merited that grace. She touched it. And her life was so full because her heart was so pure. And when our heart is pure, it is filled with God. And this this is the joy of a brother. That my life is empty of many things even of recognition, often, too often, I think, but often. But it's filled with God. Because God doesn't hesitate to give himself to those who seek him. The best gift, the best gift, we just, yes. We reflected on that in the Veni Creator just now. The best gift is given to those who seek him. So let us today be very grateful to the brothers for their gift of self to God. Let's pray for them. But let us also in a certain way envy them for the gift of God that they receive. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.